deal. Thank you, praise team. Good to see you this morning. I hope everybody's doing good. I, I told the first service what I'm about to tell you. I, I just kind of sense that, that, you know, there's this pinned-up energy in here. It's like, you're, it's like you're a bunch of caged tigers, and you're just, you know, going back and forth in your cage. And, and I know the reason why. We didn't let you shake hands this morning, right? And, and so you didn't get to move around and give high fives. And, and now you don't know what to do because all this energy is just pinned up inside of you. Well, let's focus everything right here to God's Word, right? And, and, and with all that energy, give me a big amen. amen. Well, that's a good start, maybe. Really, it's pretty bad. Give me a big Amen. There we go. Now you're letting it out. Good deal. Let's pray, and then we're going to go into God's Word. Heavenly Father, I love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the songs that you've given us to sing. And Lord, we do lift up our voice in praise to you. Jesus, Jesus, there is no name like the name Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We want to do that today. You are Lord of this place and you're Lord of our lives. Help us to learn from your word. And as I try to speak it on the outside, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak it into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I'm going to continue my series on trust, which I believe is the key to successful Christian living. And today we're going to talk about Trusting God with the resources that he has made available to each one of us. A couple of weeks ago, I kicked this uh, series off with a sermon uh, asking a question, can I trust God? Okay? And, and I think all of us come to that place in life where, where we have to answer that question. Do I really trust God with the stuff of my life? And then last week, we turned that question around, am I trustworthy? Okay? Can God trust me with the things that he has put under my care. So we're going to work through this whole issue of trust this week and next week as we take what I'm calling the trust test. Now, most of us don't even like that last word I just said, test. It kind of nauseates me, doesn't it you? Hello. But this is a good test, and it's the trust test. I think we all come to a place where we've got to ask and answer that very simple question, can I really trust God? Now, it's easy to say that, I trust God, but it's a different thing to flesh it out. Do I really trust God with every part of my life? Do I trust God with my family, with my finances, with my future? Do I trust God with my job, with my possessions, with my health? I think every one of us comes to this place where we're we're at a line, and we've got to cross this line and say, yes, I trust God in this area of my life. We either cross that line and say, yes, God, I trust you, or we back away from that line and say, no, God, I do not trust this area of my life with you. And it's at that trust test line that we either grow spiritually by crossing the line and saying, yes, God, I trust you, or we back away from that line and say no. But let me tell you, if you back away and say no, you will begin at that very moment to shrivel in your spiritual life. Your faith in God begins to shrink, all because we are unwilling to give God complete and total control of our lives. 
Now, what I've been trying to do and what I'm going to do today is give you some handles that you can hang on to as we scale this wall of trust. And today I'm doing it with an acrostic, okay? We're going to spell out the word trust, T-R-U-S-T, and I've given a, a meaning to every letter, okay? So let me just go down through the acrostic T. The first T is, let's take an inventory, and we're going to do that today. And the inventory is, am I really trusting God in every area of my life? The next word is R. We need to recognize that God is the source of everything we have. Every good thing, everything in our life, it is a gift from God. He is the source. You, we need to understand that God operates by certain principles. And we're going to be discussing stewardship principles today. And what we'll learn is this. If we simply do what God has told us to do in his word, then God is going to do something for us in return. All right? The next S is we surrender everything to God. And we're going to spend most of our time this week and next week with, with that, surrender everything to God and learn some very simple stewardship principles. And then T stands for we're going to test God in his promises. This is the one area that God says, test me in. All right? So my outline for this week and next week, because this is a two-part sermon. Come on, stay with me. Are you with me? My outline is this simple word trust, this acrostic for trust. And today we're going to work our way down T-R-U-S, and then we're going to bog down in the S, and we're going to pick up there next week in that letter S, and then go S-T. Man, dude, woo, man, I'm excited. So let's work our way through the acrostic. The first one is the letter T. We need to take an inventory. We need to look deep inside of our life and do this self-inventory and answer the question, do I really trust God? And there are two passages that help us with this inventory. The first is Psalms 139, and the second is Proverbs chapter 3. So let's start with Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Love this passage. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the pathway that is everlasting. So really what the psalmist is doing here, he, he is saying, Lord, help me with this inventory. Now there are three observations I want to make about this verse as we start taking this inventory. First observation is this, only God knows everything about you. I think it's obvious by the language here in Psalm 139. What, what does the psalmist say? He says, search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know the things that I'm worried about. In other words, the psalmist is saying, Lord, I really don't even know what's going on in my life. I, I don't know sometimes why I'm thinking what I'm thinking or even what I'm thinking. And Lord, I certainly don't know everything that is going on in my heart. And so he's asking God to help him take this inventory. And let me tell you, God knows more about you than even you know about you. God knows more about you than anyone. He knew you before you ever existed. He knew you in your mother's womb. Let me just stop right here. Let me ask you, how many of you know exactly how many hairs you have on your head. Anybody? Know? Well, come on. There's, dude, 
I know, but there's some roots down there. I see roots growing, all right? All right. Goodness, Grant, I didn't expect that from him, did y'all? He's going to worry about it all afternoon, isn't he, Joy? That he... You know what? God knows. God knows. As Brother Raymond Cronister says, God knows when they go underground and come out your ears and nose. You know? Think about that. That's what happens when you get old, all right? But we won't go into that. God knows everything about you. Second observation, only God can lead me correctly. That's why the psalmist said, Lord, look and, and see if there may be any wicked way in me. The, the psalmist recognized our tendency is to follow the wicked ways of our life, to go down the wrong paths. It reminds me of that old Fleetwood Mac song, Go Your Own Way. <laughs> you know what we do? Left to our own, we will go our own ways and it is down a wicked path. Only God can lead you down the right road. Because he knows what the future holds. And the third observation is this. Taking inventory and trusting God begins with me. The psalmist said, Lord, search me. Lord, try me. Lord, lead me. This whole issue of taking an inventory, realizing where we stand with God, begins with us. We have to take the initiative. God is going to help us. God will search our heart. God will try our emotions, but it initiates with us. So we look at ourselves and we ask, you know, how am I doing in this area of my life? How am I doing over here with my job? Am I really trusting God with my job? What about my kids? Do I really trust God with my kids? How about my, my finances and my retirement? Am I really trusting God? How about my health? Do I trust God in this area of, of well-being and health? And so the initiation begins with us. Lord, help me to see myself as you see me. Are you with me? And then that leads us right into the Proverbs chapter 3 passage. You'll see that the writer of Proverbs understood that this trust began with him. How do I know that? Well, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And I want you to count with me the personal pronouns that we read from this Proverbs passage. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. We love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 right there, don't we? But, but you notice the initiation of this inventory of trusting God to lead us in the right path. It begins with, with us. He goes on to say, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will bust open and overflow. How many personal pronouns did we read? There are 11 of them. And so this inventory is initiated with us. The, the writer of Proverbs says that, that all trust starts with a personal inventory. I need to take responsibility for doing my part. And what happens? Here it is. Listen to this. I do my part 
and God is going to do his part. Isn't that great? I do what I'm supposed to do, and then, you know what? The the gates of heaven are going to bust open, and God is going to do his part. So we start with that inventory. And I hope I got your mind going right now. Did you take your brain pills this morning? So you're thinking, all right, good deal. You know what? I just got to stop right here and come down here. I got to do this, this guy right here. This next week, my brother right here celebrates 10 years of being clean and sober. Isn't that awesome? Man, I'm proud of you, buddy. I'm step proud forward, of you. You know, you know, you know here, here's, here's the deal. Here's the, he did that through the power of God. Why? Because he's trusting God. He's trusting God. And I'm sure every day you do this inventory. Lord, am I trusting you in this area of my life? So there it is. There, there is the first T. You take the inventory. R is the next letter. We need to recognize that God is our source. Okay, recognize that God is the source. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he, it's God, who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as at this very day. So what we need to do as believers is recognize God is the source of everything that I have. It all comes from God. God has given me everything. And you say, well, preacher, I don't know about that because God isn't the one who got up at 5.30 in the morning every day this past week and went and grounded out at work. And and it's not God's name on that paycheck. I mean, I'm doing all the work. Well, you know what? This verse says, no, you're wrong because it is God who gave you the power and the health and the ability to do the job that you're doing. So he is the source of everything that we have. Angie and I have three awesome kids. I've got a couple of pretty good son-in-laws. I have a beautiful granddaughter, and, and I've got a little grandson that's on the way. They they've picked a name out for my little grandboy, Archer, because Angie's maiden name was Archer, Angie Archer. So going to call him I guess they're going to call him Archie. I don't know. Maybe he will be an Archie. I don't know. But you know what? I've got a great family. But you know what? That family came from God. God is the source of all of that. We need to recognize that God knows everything. God knows what he's doing. Nothing is hidden from him. Our God is sovereign. Let some of that pinned up energy out. Amen. Recognize God is our source. Then we come to the you. Man, we're flying through this, aren't we? We come to the big U, understand God's principles. Now, everybody look at me. Look at me right here, because this is important. Here's the way this works. God works by principles. God has given us principles in his word. And from the Old Testament through the end of the New Testament, God is saying to us, you obey the principles that I have given in the word. You do what I'm asking you to do. And then I'll do my part. You live by the principles, and I'll bless you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I'll take care of you. You do what I tell you to do, and I'm going to open the windows of heaven, and I'm going to do things to you that you just, they're they're just absolutely going to boggle your brain. I am a God who blesses my people. I take care of my people, but you've got to live by the principles. It's just the way God works. So many of us as Christians, we don't understand the principles. 
And, and, and really what it comes down to, honestly, it comes down to this principle of stewardship. Because this is where the, this is where the water hits us right in the face. This is where the conflict occurs. Because now we're getting personal when we're dealing with, with your finances and whether or not you trust God and you don't understand these principles of stewardship, so you just hang back and get mad. I, I've, I've jotted down three reasons why I believe good church people, Christians, don't give to God. They don't give the 10% that God asks them to give. And it all comes down to understanding God's principle. Number one, I think a lot of people don't, don't give because they don't think that they can give and still meet the needs that they have. They say, I, I can't give 10% and still pay my mortgage. It doesn't work out. It doesn't compute on my calculator. I can't give 10% and still have enough money at the end of the month to be able to provide food for my family. I can't give 10% and send my kid to college. And it worries them. You talk about anxiety. If, if, if there is not enough money, you, you start freaking out, right? Right? And a lot of Christians are right here. They, they don't give because they don't think they can give and still meet their needs. Here's what you don't understand. Here's not what you're seeing from God's principle. God has told us in his word, if you are my believer, I require the tithe. And how much is that? That's 10% on all that you make, on all that you bring in. God said, you bring me the tithe, 10%. Here's what we don't understand. If I've got a dollar and I give 10 cents to God, I only have 90 cents left. And you're thinking in your own human calculation, how in the world am I going to take that 90% and use it to pay all this stuff that I have to pay it? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. But here's what you fail to understand. God says, if you do what I tell you to do and give the 10%, I'm going to take the 90% and I'm going to do miracles with it and I'm going to spread it out and I'm going to take care of you. And God's, I can't understand, I can't explain exactly how it happens. I just know it happens. It's a promise from God. I've lived that way my whole life since I was six years old and, and I had to work 17 hours a week at six years old. My parents taught me to tithe when I was a little kid getting my allowance. Then when I was 10 and I got my first paper route, tithing wasn't even an issue because they had taught me the principles of tithing. And I understand that if I give the 10%, God is going to take care of me and abundantly bless me. I know it doesn't compute in our own minds, but it's a promise from God. Number two, people don't give because they just don't know how to give. There are, there are a lot of church people sitting in the pew that have never been taught stewardship principles so that they don't know that it's the right thing to do. Why have they not been taught? Well, it's the preacher's fault because we don't preach on it enough. Um, years ago, I was asked to do a leadership seminar for Free Will Baptist at our leadership event that meets in December every year in Nashville. And the topic I was supposed to teach on is on stewardship. And so I was doing all this preliminary work, and, and I called around, and I did some surveys. And, and what I found out is the, probably the number one subject preachers hate to preach on, and the most neglected topic that we don't preach on is stewardship. 
And I got to asking guys, why don't you preach on stewardship? Why don't you teach on stewardship? And you know what the result was? They, they said, we don't do it because our people don't want to hear it. And when I preach on stewardship or when I teach on stewardship, I get a backlash. People get mad at me. People leave the church. And, and I understand that. Why? Because this is a personal thing. And let me tell you, I'm just, you know what, I'm not afraid to teach. I've been doing it my entire ministry. I'll tell you why here in a moment. But, but here's what I know out of 36 years of ministry. If you have a problem with God, if things are not right between you and God, you're not going to tithe because there's a trust issue with you, you and God. And if I get up here and teach on tithing and stewardship and tell you that you need to be doing it and you got a problem with God and you're stingy, then you know what? You're going to get mad at me. Or you're going to leave the church. And I've, I've, I'm, dude, let me tell you, I'm, I'm just being real with you. I preach on two different subjects and I get ready for people to leave the church. I preach against drinking because I don't believe that alcohol is good for you and you don't need to be drinking because something else is controlling your body or drugs. When I preach against that, typically somebody leaves the church. When I teach on stewardship, typically somebody's going to leave the church. And I hate that. I mean, it, it kills my spirit and soul. But you know what? I'm not going to stop preaching on it because it's the right thing and you need to hear it. You got to hear it. It's a principle from God. Um, a few months ago, my, my good buddy over here at Harvest Time, Marty Sloan, uh, left. He's in, he's in Chicago now pastoring a, an Assembly of God church up there. But Marty and I have been friends for 15 years. And uh, one, one Sunday, probably, or one Monday, probably about five, six, seven years ago, he showed up on a Monday morning at, at church, came into my office, and I said, Marty, how's it going, man? Good to see you. And he handed me two checks. And, and I opened these checks up, and they're made out to Kavanaugh Church, and they're signed by people. I, I don't know who they are. And I said, dude, what, what is this? And he said, well, let me tell you, I've, I've been preaching a series on stewardship over at Harvest Time, and, uh, and I knew it was making some people mad. So, so yesterday in my sermon, I said, hey, if, if, if you're tired of giving to Harvest Time, and you don't think stewardship is right, and you're mad at me for preaching on this, just make your check out to Kavanaugh Church, and I'll take it and give it to Pastor Will tomorrow. And I got two checks from his church. I think they were, they were probably friends of Marty just giving him a hard time. I, I don't know. But you know what? A lot of people don't give because they don't know. They, they've never been taught the principle of giving. And then number three, they, they don't give because they don't plan to give. And if you lack planning and giving, you're always living in an emergency mode. And there's never enough money. Flip that thing around. Make a budget. Say, okay, the first 10% goes to God. I don't care if anybody gets anything else. I'm going to give the first 10% to God. I guarantee you what's going to happen is God is going to help you stretch that 90%, and you will not only be able to pay all your bills, God is going to take care of you. Now, can I just step back and say, listen, this doesn't work if you're foolish with your money, and God is not going to bless you and take care of you if you take the 90% over here to the casino and lose it. Okay? But if you put God first, God has promised he will take care of you. He said, test me in this. So you're ready for me to get off of you, aren't you? The letter U. 
So let's move on to S. Let me share some stewardship principles that make a difference. I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning with five stewardship principles. And then next week when we come back, I'm going to give you the rest of the story and share five more stewardship principles with you that literally will change your life. Ten principles that will change your life. Are you ready? It's about to get good, man. So get on the edge of your chair. Come on. Let's get ready. Let some of that energy out. Come on. These really are pretty cool. Here's the first one. It's the who's in charge principle. The who's in charge principle. We've been learning this over the last couple of weeks. God's the owner, and I'm simply the the manager of it. Okay? This is basically found in, in Psalm 124. It's who's going to be in charge of my life? Who is going to drive my car through life? All right? And here's what God said in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth and everything that is in it belongs to the Lord. Now, I want you to stop right here and think about that. The earth, this, this globe, this cosmos... And everything in it belongs to who? It belongs to God. Why? Because he made it. He spoke a word and it came into existence. The world and all the people. If you're a people, raise your hand. Come on. If you're a people, raise your hand. That means that you belong to God. The earth and all the people in it belong to the Lord. Now here's the deal. You can either go your own way. Fleetwood Mac, go your own way, or you can go God's way. You can't go both ways. You either drive your own car through life, or you turn the steering wheel of your vehicle, your life, over to the Lord. Oh, that reminds me of another song, Carrie Underwood. (laughs) Jesus, take the wheel. Let me tell you. You need to give the wheel of your life to Jesus, and some of you need to get in the back seat. And let Jesus drive your life down the highway, all right? Are you with me? So the first principle, the who's in charge principle, God's the owner, I'm the manager. Principle number two, it's the give and grow principle. Practicing stewardship produces growth. And I know this to be true. It was Timothy Johnson who said it best when he said, Some say, dedicate the heart and the money will follow. But our Lord put it another way. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if your treasure is dedicated, your heart will be dedicated. And if it's not, it simply won't. It's as simple as that. And it goes into this principle, the the give and grow principle. Once we learn to give, we start growing. Now, I said earlier... I've been a senior pastor for, I don't know, 36 years, I think. Every church that I've pastored, I've, I've, I've told them two things. I said, number one, if I'm going to be your pastor, our church is going to give to 10%, at least 10% to co-op. Because I believe not only should a Christian tithe, a church needs to be tithing. Okay? The second thing I said, I am going to preach on stewardship. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Why? Because I understand the principles of stewardship. Here is where spiritual growth occurs. The greatest spiritual growth I have had in my own life are those times when I've been forced to trust God. 
when things were out of my hands, when they were out of control for me. Angie, Angie gave me this saying this past week. You're either in control or you're trusting God. But you don't have both. Okay? And the greatest spiritual growth I have ever seen in any of the churches that I have pastored have always come during a time of stewardship. When we are learning these principles and we're honest with God and we trust God. In fact, I sat down and just wrote out some of the ways that I have seen people grow through stewardship. Stuff like this. A lot of people find their spiritual gifts in a season of stewardship learning. Why? Because it's not only our money, our treasure, it's also our time and, here's the word we use, talents. And the talent is the gift that God has given you. And it's during these times of spiritual stewardship that we begin giving God all three of them, our time, our talent, and our treasure. It also increases our faith when we learn stewardship principles. We become spiritually sensitive. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. Let me just use this illustration. I said it last week. Two weeks ago on a Wednesday night, we had Elisa Seabolt here, one of our former kids who grew up in the church. She's at Randall University now. She came, she sang with the group, and then she gave her testimony of how she's going to Ecuador during spring break and work with the Jungle Kids for Christ. I told you this story last week, remember? Remember? She needed about a little over $1,000 to complete her, her trip funding, and so we decided we're going to take up an offering for her. Remember what I said to you? I said, I'm not going to tell you how much to give. That's something between you and God. Right now, though, pray a little prayer and say, Lord, tell me what to put in this offering. How much should I give to help Elisa? She needed a little over $1,000, like $1,100. you know how much you gave that night? $1,200. Now, that's not the first time something like that has happened around here. Okay? That is a normal occurrence at Kavanaugh Church. Number one, because we're a generous church. Thank God for that. I mean, I do. I think that's one of our values here. We, we believe in generosity. But, but the other thing is this. You were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit told you to give $20 or give $50 or give $100, that's what you gave. Why? The Holy Spirit spoke it into you. And you're sensitive to him. Something else that happens when, when, when we do this. We become fruitful in the kingdom of God. And we receive blessings from God. And with those blessings, we become a blessing to somebody else. And we make a lasting contribution for the kingdom of God when we give. Because we're growing. And that leads me to number, what, three. It's the do it now principle. I love this one. Do it now. Say do it now. One, two, three. Do it now. Let's do it together now. One, two, three. Do it now principle. Stewardship deals with our present resources. Samuel Johnson said, the person who waits to do a great deal of good at once never does anything. So if you're waiting to do something big, guess what? You ain't ever going to do it. If you're waiting to give something big, guess what? You're never going to do it. If you're sitting there thinking, you know what? One day I'm going to do something awesome from God. You're never going to do it. You know why? Because you procrastinate. Heard a cute little poem about procrastination this week. Procrastination is my greatest sin. It brings me endless sorrow. I'm going to stop doing it. Perhaps I'll stop tomorrow. All right? So let me just stop right here and get real with you and ask you a question. 
How long before you start using your time, your talent, and your treasure for God? How long is it going to take you to really start using all of the resources God has given you for the glory of God? You see, there's a tendency for us to say, well, sometime, maybe next year, maybe next year I'll figure out what my spiritual gift is and start using it for the Lord. Or maybe, maybe, maybe when I retire and I have a little more time, I'll start giving God more of my time for use at the church and for His kingdom. Maybe when I get retirement age and I have retirement coming in and I've gotten all my kids out of school, I'll start giving to the Lord. That's not what God is asking you. God is asking you, what are you doing with the stuff he's given you right now? You see, it is our present resources that God is concerned about right now. Now, it's hard for me to imagine a born-again Christian, somebody who's been saved by the gracious grace and power of God, coming to church on Sundays and sitting in the pews and thinking they deserve a purple heart just for showing up. Amen. You know, what are you doing with the good gifts God has blessed you with right now? You see, guys, we're going to be held accountable for all the things God has given to us. There's going to be a day when I have to stand before God and present my life to Him on a platter, all that I've done. And I'm either going to have gold, silver, and precious stones for the investments I've made, or I'm going to have a whole bunch of wood, hay, and stubble. And what I'm afraid of is that a bunch of us are just going to be lighting a big old bonfire. <laughs> I thought that was funny when I wrote it. Apparently, you don't, you don't think it is. So what are you doing with the resources God's given you right now? I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. Pray, well, preach, listen, if I would have won the lottery this past week, I, I would be giving every bit of it to God, and I'd build that new building the church is talking about. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Why? Because you're struggling with tithing right now. And let me tell you something. If you can't give God 10% on what he has already blessed you with right now, there is no way a year from now you're going to give him 100%. I love the story. It's a real story about this real rich guy who went on this prosperity gospel kick. And, and he was going around church after church, town after town, telling his story. What was his story? Well, one day when he had hit rock bottom, he went into this church and all he had in his possession was $20. That's all he had. He had lost his family, lost his job. He was living out of an old pickup truck. He didn't have any gas in it. He, didn't. he had $20 in his pocket and that was it. And when the offering plate was passed, a voice spoke to him and said, put it all in. Give it all. And so he pulled out that 20 bucks and he put it in, in the offering plate. And the day after he did that, everything in his life changed and he became a multimillionaire. And so now he's going around to all these churches and all these towns. He's telling his story and people are clapping. They're excited because of God's blessing on his life. And he's telling them, I challenge you to do the same thing. Just give it all. He did that in Toledo. Told his story. Everybody's clapping. Except one little old lady sitting out there. She raised her hand. 
And so he quieted the crowd down. He said, yes, ma'am, you got a question? She said, yes, yes, I sure do. He said, she said, let, let, let me make sure I understand all this. All you had was $20. And somebody told you, a voice told you to give that $20, and you put that $20 in the offering plate, and all of a sudden God made you rich and famous? He said, yes, ma'am, that's the way it works. She said, okay, okay, okay let, let me understand. N now you are a multimillionaire because you gave that $20. She said, yes, ma'am, that's exactly right. That's the way it worked. She said, just one more question. Would you do it all again right now? But you think about that. I mean, one of the things that frustrates me and, and really irritates me are all of these Christians with these spiritual days talking about God is going to provide. Let me tell you something, church. Let me, let me tell you something. God's already provided. What are we doing with what He has given us right now? How are we managing the resources that He has put in our care? And I'm just telling this out of, out of the, the, the purity of my own soul. God is not going to give you more if you are just hoarding what He's given you. And if you're not using what he has given you for his kingdom, making eternal investment, he's not going to give you anything. Four. Thank, thank, thank the good Lord. He's on four now, man. Do y'all understand how this works? The more I progress in my numbering, the closer we get to leaving y'all. Are you with me there? I love principle number four. The I'm in debt principle. In fact, the moment we're born, we're in debt. And, and some of you are thinking, hey, men, preacher, there's finally one I can relate to. <laughs> well, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. It, it was Alex Schweitzer who put it like this. Whatever you have received more than others, whether it be in terms of health or talents or abilities or in success or in harmonious conditions of your home, you cannot take these things lightly or for granted. No, in gratitude for your good fortune, you must render some sacrifice of your own life for somebody else's life. And I think the Apostle Paul knew exactly that philosophy, for he said this in Romans 1.14, For I owe a great debt to you and to everyone else. What, what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I am a debtor. I am in debt to you. And really, we are too, guys. Our indebtedness is twofold. First of all, we are in debt to God. How about a big amen for that? Everything we have comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So I am in debt to God. Not only for everything I have, I am in debt to God for the transformation He has made on my life. I, he saved our lives, didn't he? He set us free. It's the power of Jesus that set you free. I am in debt to God for Jesus hanging on that cross, shedding his life's blood so that I can have life. Now, how in the world do you pay somebody back for that gift? We're in debt to God. You know what? We're also in debt to the previous generation. I'm in debt to my family. I'm in debt to my parents for, for getting married and having me and raising me and putting up with all my shenanigans. 
I'm in, I'm in debt to everyone in my family who's had a, a part in raising me and molding me and helping me. I'm in debt to hundreds of people. You are too. Let me just give you a snapshot of a bigger picture. Are you still with me? We are a blessed church. Hey, come on. This church is an awesome church. We are blessed by God. I've been around. I've been in hundreds and thousands of churches. There's not many churches like this church. It's a great church. I mean, dude, let me tell you, you don't come across a church, especially a free will Baptist church every day, that in the past 30 years, there has been no, no vote in any business meeting. I'm just saying that because we're having a business, our yearly business meeting this next Wednesday night, and I don't want to break the record, okay? So get, get, let's get our act together here, all right? There, one, of, one of our values, another one of our values, not only generosity, we value unity. It's our DNA. It's who we are. And you know what? This church is not a great church because of just us right now, right here. You can't sit there and say, well, Kavanaugh's great because we've got a great staff. And Kavanaugh's great because we got a great preacher. Just thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> or Kavanaugh's great because we've got great leadership or we got great people. Now, all of those things may be true, but that's not the only reason we are great. I'm standing on the shoulders of some great men who have gone before us and paved the way. Brother Shipley, who in 1962 decided there needed to be a Free Will Baptist Church on the south side of Fort Smith, so in his home, in the Kavanaugh community, Kavanaugh Church was birthed. I'm indebted to him. You are too. We are indebted to that first group of 32 charter members who that same year stepped out on faith and bought a little plot of ground on Holly Street off of Kavanaugh Road and built the first building that our people worshipped in. We're in debt to them. We are indebted to that group of people. Let me tell you, let me just back up. I'm indebted to the four pastors who were the first pastors during the first six years of this church. But I'm also in debt to the guy that I followed who was here for 28 years. Let me tell you what. He's the one who made Kavanaugh a great church. Wasn't me. I just hadn't messed anything up. We're indebted to that group who in 1972 decided to buy some land on Grinnell Street and they built the first building here. Then in the 80s when that next group built another building. In the 90s when they built this worship center, they stepped out on, on faith to do what God had told them to do. Guys, that's why we're blessed today because of men and women who had a vision for the things of God and sacrificed so that we could enjoy the blessings we have today. And I say all that to tell you this. Dude, look at me. It's our turn. It's our turn to step up to the plate and do our part to make sure Kavanaugh continues to be a great church for our kids and our grandkids and future generations. The I'm in debt principle. And then finally that leads us to number five. It's the fountain of youth principle. You see, you literally can, can live on through the resources God has given you when you give them back to God. Douglas Lawson put it like this. We exist temporarily through what we take, but we live forever through what we give. 
And it was Jesus who said, what we keep, we lose. If, if you try to hoard things and hang on to them and you are unwilling to give, if you keep it, guess what? You're eventually going to lose it. But Jesus said, what we lose, what we give away, then we get to keep. That's a stewardship principle. We, we all know it to be true. You've heard the expression, you can't take it with you. You can't. I heard a new one this past week. It says this, you've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack on the back. Uh, the first service didn't laugh either. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. Dude, you can't take it with you. Calvin Coolidge said, no enterprise can exist for itself alone. It ministers to some great need. It performs some great service, not for itself, but for others. Or failing therein, it ceases to be profitable, and therefore it ceases to exist. I'm, I'm about done, but I'm going to get real with you, okay? This, this is the truth. This is the reality. The moment you stop trusting God, the moment you go up to that trust line, that trust test line, and God is saying, trust me with this issue, trust me with this part of your life, the moment you don't step across that line and trust God, the moment you step back from that line and say, no, God, I want to be in control. I don't see any way possible how you can turn this into something good, so let me take the wheel. The moment we step back, the moment we stop trusting, the moment you stop giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure, the moment you stop having faith is the very second you start shriveling and withering and dying spiritual. Why? Because you're withdrawing from God. God wants you out here stepping out on the limb. God wants you crossing that test, that trust line. God wants you close to him. But when you say no, you're getting away from God. And you're going to start withering. You're going to get cranky. You're going to get mean-spirited. You're going to get mad at me when I preach on stewardship or on faith or on trust. And you're, just, you're, just, you're going to be a mess. Give you the big picture. Same thing that happens to you individually can happen to a church. Because if there's a generation of people who come up to that trust test line and they say, no, it ain't our time. We ain't going to do it. We're not going to give. We're not going to serve. Maybe they did it before, but we're not going to do it. The moment that happens, we turn in on ourselves and we begin to wither and die. And there are no, are no exceptions to this. You can either be in charge or you can trust God, but you can't have both. So what do you need to trust God with today? Some of you need to trust him with your life because you've never given him your heart. And today, right now, the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, you know what? You've been talking about getting saved for a long time. Today's the day. So would you come to the altar this morning and allow us the privilege of leading you to faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here today and you need to trust God with one of these real life issues. You've come right up to the trust test line with something in your life. Maybe it is your job or your kids or your health or your finances and you're really tottering. You're riding the fence right now. You need to go all the way with God. You need to be all in.
So just bring all that stuff and lay it on the altar and get real with God today and trust Him. You know what it could be with your finances? God says, test me in this. So today, put Him to the test. You do your part, God will do His part. And dear Lord,